and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women in history. I'm Sarah Gorski. I'm Jupiter F. Stone. And I'm Chloe Skye. And I am bringing you, I'm bringing a couple broads today because I had this idea um, and I texted you ladies about it and you guys thought it wasn't a bad idea, so I just ran with it. <laughs> so there's this really hilarious story, I, this, an anecdote really, it's not a story, it's an anecdote I heard about Thoreau's mom. David Thoreau's mom, who wrote Walden Pond, the big, like, introspective American classic. Have you guys, do you guys know what I'm talking about, David Thoreau? I do, yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I went to, I went to high school American. in the Midwest. I don't know. White America. This, this, this white boy goes to a pond and, like, lives in isolation for, like, two months and then writes this, what becomes, like, this American classic of literature. The reason we're told it's an American classic is because the people who read it were other dudes just like him Mm -hmm. who were like, ah, this is the best that our specific species could have put out. Yeah, right. So like, you probably wouldn't like it at all. It's pretty boring, Jupiter, from what I recall (laughs) of it. But it's considered like this epic American, like, it's considered like one of the most American books ever written or whatever. But I heard this hilarious anecdote that was like, oh yeah, well, but did you know that Thoreau walked to his mom's house every week so she could do his laundry and he could eat her cooking? <laughs> this like epic American dude while he was living in isolation on the pond. So supposedly he was like away from humanity, thinking about humanity and but thinking- But within walking distance of But he was within walking right. distance of his mom and every week he would walk home. And so I just like, <laughs> when I heard that anecdote, I was like laughing my ass off. Um, and so I wanted to do an episode of, on what I'm gonna call background broads, who are broads who are pretty not famous, like their name is not gonna be familiar. People aren't going to know who they are, but the men that they supported in their lives did epic things because of the support that they offered. Um, so they don't get a lot of credit and they don't get a lot of mentions and they don't even necessarily have enough out there for their own episodes, but they deserve a shout out. So this is what this episode is. It's going to be a bunch of a bunch of broads like Thoreau's mom. If any of the stories are as good as that one, it's going to be a great episode. <laughs> I just don't know why you didn't do laundry in the pond. He couldn't. Like- he didn't know how. He didn't, he didn't know how. No, he had zero you skills. put the clothes in the water, he d- and then you take it you out. You scrub them. And you then scrub- you take it out. Maybe and you, you put get it some on soap. Have you never met a man that couldn't do something, Jupiter? Every man I've met has been perfectly capable of any task laid before him, <laughs> like, incredibly level-headedly. And I've met a wider variety of men than you, I'll just say. <laughs> so, um, so let's go on, though, to some of these other great stories I found. So... I put out the call actually on my Facebook and I was like, who has some great stories about broads like this? And I got an amazing amount of submissions. In fact, I got like way more submissions than I could possibly fit into a single episode. So this, like I may do like some part two down the road. I also have ideas for other ways. So some of the broads that people mentioned, ironically, several people mentioned, I'm going to say their words, quote, Einstein's wife. Oh, so Maleva Marich. To which I replied, yes, Maleva Marich was a physicist herself and did his math, and she co-wrote the piece that got him a Nobel Peace Prize but was left off of it. So we're not going to consider her a broad who couldn't do shit except for laundry and cookies, right? Because <laughs> she was like a brilliant really genius. And we have an episode about her already. Anyway, I think first I'm going to talk about Catherine Wright. 
Can you guys guess like, who she's related the to? The Wright brothers. Yes. Ding, 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 ding. Which one? Both of them. Both both of them because <laughs> they were brothers and she was their sister. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, so the Wright brothers. Yeah, the, she was the youngest sibling in the family, but the only girl of Orville and, um, oh my God, I didn't put his name down here. Wilbur. Wilbur and Orville. <laughs> I wanted to write about her and not them, but um, Wilbur and Orville Wright, who, as listeners who don't know a lot about them, they are the ones who have va- basically designed airplanes. They were like the first people to prototype flying planes. Yeah. They made a bunch that didn't work uh-huh. and then one that did. <laughs> well, they were like in like kind of inventors, I guess you could call them, and they just like kept working on their models until they finally functioned well enough not to cr- <laughs> to crash. But they had a sister named Catherine. When Catherine was 15, her their mother died, and she basically had to take over the whole household since she was the only female in the family. She took over all the housekeeping, food, taking care of the baby men, all that all that shit. So she was kind of like the the resident like replacement for their mother for quite some time. She did end up going to school. She was very well educated. She was super smart. And she always was like talking with her brothers. Like she was always like a part of all their like discussions and they don't like fully attribute ideas to her, but she was like definitively there and part of these processes as they were like putting together their planes and inventing the aeroplane. So at some point, Orville is test flying a plane and there's a terrible crash and his passenger is killed who's flying with him who's another person that was testing and it wasn't a rando but he is terribly injured and so Catherine who is who has a job teaching locally she like immediately quits her job and she goes to him where he is in the hospital and she stands vigil by his bedside the entire seven weeks of his recovery um, and Orville said later to a friend that without his sister there, he surely would have died. Wow. Whoa. Damn. Yeah. It's weird we don't hear that part of the story. It is weird we don't hear that part of the story. Um, the Wright brothers, all of their invention, like experiments and flying, they were all privately funded. Like they weren't like government grants and shit like that because the government like, kind of like, didn't do that shit yet. But early on, like at the very, very beginning, the funding primarily came from their own, they, they ran a bicycle shop for people. And Catherine was the manager of the bicycle shop. So she packed supplies for her brothers. She managed all of their official correspondence. She supplemented their funding by working at like all around at the schools and at the airfields and all that shit. She provided solutions to problems that didn't necessarily have to do directly with the planes or the mechanics behind it, but like other problems they were having like in the company and stuff like that. Um, and she uh, helped Wilbur and Orville to negotiate a one-year extension of their contract with the U.S. Signal Corps, which was one of their like earliest um, deals that they made. She also learned how to speak French so that she could speak with the European dignitaries for her brothers on their exhibition trips. So they would like go to Europe on an exhibition with their planes and she like learned French so that she could go with them and help them talk to the, the oh dignitary. Amazing. Damn. This is this is at least a middle ground fraud. At least a middle ground. I know, background. but have you ever Damn. heard of her? So she's bad. Never. Girl. She should be like it should be like the right siblings. Oh yeah. Her work is 
as integral to their yeah. success as anything they did. It feels like a race car team or like a, a heist yeah. team, you and know? and they were all really close, especially her and Orville f- for a time until she, there was, like, later on she got married and Orville really did not care for that. Um, and they kind of stopped talking and shit. <laughs> Lots of drama at that point. In the, but, like, for a long time, they were like, the, the three amigos, like, they were, like, really, like, working together and traveling together, going abroad together, all this stuff. Wilbur asked Catherine to go to France with Orville, and in 1909, they joined him in Pau, and she was, like, the the belle of the ball. She was, like, so outgoing and charming, and everybody was just, like, taken with her. Um, and her brothers, apparently, Wilbur and Orville, were both, like, incredibly shy, but she was super gregarious, and so she was, like, out partying, and people were like, oh, my gosh. They, they, like, considered her, like, the human side of the family. And she even ended up getting uh, an award from France, the Légion d'Honneur. And she was one of the very few women in the U.S. who have ever received it. They just, like, loved her. And the newspapers wrote about her, and they just went on and on about her. And they all, when they came back to the U.S. after this trip, they were all huge celebrities. And Catherine took on a bunch of business responsibilities, and she became an officer of the company in 1912 after Wilbur dies. Um, and then eventually the company is sold by Orville in 1915. Um, and she ended up getting married and they kind of, things kind of all disintegrated within them. But isn't she awesome? Uh, incredible. Definitely. Awesome. Wow. Abroad. You should know Catherine Wright. With an A. K A T H A R I N E. Catherine Wright. With a K and an A, yeah. Is this it? is going to be like a really good party trick. Like, this is going to be a really fun thing to do with people. I think it's going to be a popular episode. It'll be like, you know the Wright brothers? Well, do you know their sister? Right? <laughs> Boom! That is the point of this episode. It's like party yes, trick city. I'm here for it. Party trick city. <laughs> hey, you vaccinated? You trying to go to a party? <laughs> Drop this knowledge. Okay, I got another broad for you. I have um, Maria Anna or Marianne Nanner Mozart. Any relation to Amadeus Mozart? Ding, 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 ding. That's his sister. What? Yes. She wrote all his music. (laughs) Well, she did not. Oh, shit. She did not write all his music. However, when they were both like tots, like wee tots, like three and five years old. She's the older sibling, so she was born first. And their dad was a musician. He immediately like started training the kids as early as possible to play the piano and the harpsichord. And Well, back then it was just the harpsichord. I don't think pianos were... I think you just had harpsichords and different... And pianofortes, they call them. <laughs> and so he taught both the kids to play and they both became very, very good at a very young age. At like three and five, he starts to like like bring them around and tour around and like do shows with them because the fact that like such young children could play and play so well was like insane right and there were a bunch of reviews at the time that came out that noted particularly how incredible Nanerl was she was like lauded like a little bit above her brother at the time when they were both like heavily in the music scene she would like headline the show and she was hailed as quote virtuosic and a prodigy, and a genius, and they would travel all across Europe, for Munich, Paris, London, Zurich, and everywhere. She just was, like, considered this, like, huge revelation in music. So, I, like, obviously, I have, I'm going to have opinions about their dad, because I feel like it was their dad's fault that she didn't become famous. <laughs> 
But his her dad was like super into his son because he knew that his son was also really good. He he was going along on the tours too, and he was really good. And he's like the seven year old in his wig, and he could barely touch the pedals, and he's playing like like a storm. So he also like starts to like lift up Amadeus a little bit more it seems like from all the stories and her father did write at some point nanerl no longer suffers by comparison with the boy for she plays so beautifully that everyone is talking about her and admiring her execution however as soon as she turns 18 her dad's like it's time to get married now you can't be a musician anymore basically she like obeys him and amadeus himself is known for being like really anti-parent like he like did everything against his parents wishes like he married this woman Constance who his parents did not approve of and like like he basically did the opposite of what it looks like Nanerl did where her dad was like you have to do this and she was like okay okay I'll do this um she ends up getting married really late like she's like in her 30s which is very late at the time period considering she was available at 18 and he already has some kids so she's a stepmom and then she has her own kid, but her dad is like, bring me... She ends up having the kid, like, where her dad lives, back in Salzburg. And her dad's like, no, I want to raise the kid. And so, like, he, like, keeps the kid and raises the kid himself because he wants to raise himself another more obedient version of Amadeus, right? Or some shit like that. Like, their dad sounds like a fucking asshole. So really I'm just going to treat him I like mean, an asshole because that's my opinion of him. So. <laughs> like, kind of like child labor. I don't know that he toured her son, like, Nanaro's son, but he definitely... Like toured his kids around and stuff like that, and and Amadeus went on to have this highly successful and lauded career. Like obviously he's super super duper famous. Fast forward a bunch. There they used to be like when they were when they were little kids they were so close Amadeus and Nanerol and they like invented their own language and their own like fantasy world that they would like play in the back of the carriage and stuff like that. And when they would tour together, like there was no animosity between them. Like, even though Nanerol kind of was being pulled away for marriage purposes, they were still really close and they wrote a lot. But then at some point they, I think like when she gets married, he's like, he also like doesn't approve of the marriage. Much like Orville with Catherine, he's like, oh, I don't know about, I don't know this hubs of yours. And it kind of like cracks them apart and they don't write very much. Um, and in fact, she doesn't even meet his wife while he's alive. They have like some like correspondence, but nothing like in person. After the death of her husband, though, in 1801, she comes back to Salzburg and she goes back to teaching music. Um, and at this point, also, her brother died. He, his, Amadeus died really young. He dies when he's like 35. And his, his music at this point, like he is super famous as a performer, but his music isn't very well documented. So like he's got all this music he's been writing and sending to her. Like they exchange their compositions all the time. So basically, when she comes back to Salzburg and is like free, their father is also dead at this point. So she's like finally fucking free of all these horrible men. She works together with Mozart's biographers and she like oversees the publication of all of his music. And so like there was a whole bunch of publications out there and some of them were like claiming to be his. But she knew his his style so well that she knew immediately if one of them was a fraud. She was like, this is my brother's, but this one's not. And this one is my brother's, but this one's not. She's basically responsible for like publishing his music, which he he wrote like an insane amount of music. He's so very famous, but would he be famous today? Right. Wow. So that is Nanerl Mozart, Mozart's sister. That's so frustrating. Yeah. 
I don't, it is, it is frustrating, but she did like, she did make the choice, right? Like maybe she felt like she didn't have another choice, but like her brother was like, fuck this and didn't do anything their dad said. And then she, it's, I mean, if, if her, if their father was as much of an overbearing asshole as he sounds like, and they're living in the time and the place that they're living in. She did not have a choice. No, it's very probably not. Portrait of a Lady on Fire esque. Uh, like, yeah, I love this that. Is just movie. what you're gonna do. If anyone hasn't yeah. seen that movie, watch it right now. That is the movie that kept coming to mind through that story. <laughs> yeah, but like, how similar? Right? It seems like even though they're shafted, they're so stoked to have the opportunity to do something outside of marriage and children that they're gonna do that anyway. Right? Yeah, I'll do it for somebody else. I don't care as long as I'm doing it. Uh, yeah, uh, and also like family, right? So I feel like legacy was a big deal then. More, you know, legacy was especially for dudes because the dudes are the ones who have the family line and shit. Dudes are the only ones who can have a legacy. <laughs> what women have you heard of? Obviously, at that time no women on this podcast can have legacies. Yeah, I mean, thankfully things are changing. <laughs> yeah, anything to say about it? Okay, I'm gonna keep rolling forward. My next broad. I feel like Jupiter is gonna be really into this broad. I'm ready. Are you ready? Do you have any guesses? Well, <laughs> yeah, let me just pull something. Um, is it? Uh, Henrietta Beethoven? Henrietta no, Beethoven. It's not. It's not. Okay, her name is. Um, oh, wait, wait, wait. No, um, what? Nancy Armstrong. Are you just saying Nate? Are you just saying? Oh, like Neil Armstrong's wife or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like sister. I don't know. I'm, going, I'm heavy on the sister mode no, right now. No, 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 no. Um, no. The next part is Anna Marie Douglas. Oh, like Frederick, Frederick Douglas. Douglas? Fred, Frederick Douglas's wife. Yo, tell me about. That's why when go. we were recording your episode about like about Sojourner Truth, I was like, oh yeah, by the way, Frederick Douglas also published a paper because I like just finished a bunch of research about him. <laughs> Amazing timing. I see. I see. <clears throat> okay, she's best introduced by this quote from their daughter which says, quote, the story of Frederick Douglass' hopes and aspirations and longing desire for freedom has been told. You all know it. It was a story made possible by the unswerving loyalty of Anna Murray. Ooh. So Anna is the daughter. Uh, she's born the daughter of enslaved parents in rural Maryland around 1813. She was the first of her siblings to be born free after her parents were freed. So her other siblings were like born well, they were still enslaved, and then she was born free. She lived with her parents until she was 17, and at that point she goes to Baltimore, and she finds work as a domestic helper. And she works a number of years, and she, she works her ass off, and she saves money. And apparently um, in Baltimore, there was, like, a huge, awesome, thriving black community. There were, like, 17,000 free black people, and they all had their own, like, churches and schools and... Like, despite all the other laws, of, bullshit laws of the state, they were able to kind of, like, cobble together, like, a nice free place for themselves, which is awesome. Um, and then, in 1838, she meets Frederick. And she's like, I'm going to marry that man. <laughs> but Frederick, at this point, is still enslaved. Whoa. So, Whoa. Anna goes to her little, like, needle and thread, and she sews him a sailor's uniform for a disguise and she sends it with along with like a bundle of money her money that she earned she sends it to frederick and frederick borrows a friend's uh, freeman's pass they call it 
and he buys a plane ticket to NYC and he escapes. So he Holy escapes slavery. Shit. Yes. There Yo. is no Frederick Douglass there, without this. I mean, not woman. the version of him we know, at least, right? Right. And so when I mean, maybe he would have found some other way to get out, but like, maybe. what a great plan! He better motherfucking marry her. <laughs> he got a motherfucking sugar mama. Is what happened? Ooh. Yeah, he did. But I respect the sugar mama, Ooh. so that's a compliment. Uh, so, uh, so he gets Break to New York, t- and Anna follows him, and they get married. Like Anna comes from you know from Baltimore, and she goes to New York, and they're they're finally married. And Anna, like Anna, has a bunch of money because she's been working her ass off. So she furnishes everything. She like buys the bed and the pillows, and the linens, and the the dishes and shit like that, all with her own money. She like basically funds their household, which is I think, wow. which is like so fucking badass. I just love it. Hell yeah! I, obviously, so Frederick bad. couldn't have money. Like, like obviously, role. Frederick was enslaved, so he like didn't have money, and that's like I'm not trying to make right. fun of Frederick's. Yeah. It would be ridiculous to expect him to be able to provide. <laughs> right, at that but I still stage. think it's so cool that she was like so self-sustaining. But how many people could have done that? Exactly, I don't know. Like people would think it's ridiculous for her to be able to do that, but she did. Yeah. Right? So they eventually move to New Bedford, Massachusetts, and her and Frederick are both working, and then Anna starts popping up out a bunch of kids, and Frederick's work uh, as an abolitionist, like, in speaking against slavery, starts to pick up, and he's catching steams, and he starts to travel a lot, and, like, to Europe and all around, um, and Anna held down the fort at home, she ran the household and raised the kids, and she, like, had her own, like, shoe repair business, she was able to make enough money with shoe repair that all of the money that Frederick sent home, they didn't have to use because they were able to live off her shoe money. So they were able to like save Frederick's money and save. And like, she obviously was like super frugal and like really good at fucking saving and accruing money, which is not a skill that everybody has. You know? No, I don't have it. I mean, Biddy Mason had that skill too. We have some other broads that have had that skill and it's, it's a, my grandma had that skill, I feel like. <laughs> but I'm not sure yeah. if I do. <laughs> uh, that's a topic for another day. Uh, so uh, eventually they move to Rochester, New York. They host a bunch of really famous guests. They, you know, they become like the face of the anti-slavery movement. They become, their house becomes a stop on the Underground Railroad. So they're actively hiding runaways. Frederick publishes the North Star, his anti-slavery newspaper. Um, and there was... Uh, Another quote uh, from one of the historians that wrote about them that said, quote, they say she held the household together, but there was so much more to it than that. Anna would have been working constantly to manage the guests, keep the house clean, tend the garden, balance the varying opinions of her husband's colleagues without getting caught in the middle and keeping their work on the Underground Railroad secret. It was a tough role, a very tough role. Wow. Wow. Oof. (sighs) Amazing. Incredible. Amazing. I thought you'd like her, Jupiter. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know how to respond. <laughs> Just that she's fucking badass broad. Yeah, that's my... I The fact that that's never a part of the story, when you talk, when people talk about Frederick Douglass, that's... Fred, who? See, I forget. That. I have a plant named Frederick Douglass. <laughs> I'm about to rename that plant. You should. I should. Because, damn, legitimately, legitimately freed him and sewed his outfit so to say, i love that part of it that sold the sailor outfit uh, like, what a multi-talent and, and, and bought him the time and space he needed to become 
who he needed to be. Like, yeah. fuck a gender role, right? Yeah. This is amazing. They said we couldn't? Okay. Except, look at this. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of... When do they sleep? Well, they don't. And, th- and you know... Uh, sleep when you're dead. I don't want to go like into like their whole history because their marriage turns out like to not be great. And there's lots of rumors that Frederick cheated on her a bunch. But then you also know that Frederick had a lot of haters because he was anti-slavery. So, like... Which stories do we believe? Which don't we? And apparently they had a bunch, they had a couple women staying at their house as guests that they think that he was having affairs with and stuff like that. But I feel like all of that is not stuff I was had the capacity to research and share. So if you, sure. if you research her yourself, you might read some of that stuff. I, for one, would take it all with a grain of salt just because Frederick Douglass had a ton of haters. It turns out why people like slavery and they liked to keep it going and they hated people that were against slavery. So anyway... I'm going to move on now. Okay, next broad, Edith Bowling Wilson. Like the volleyball. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, My guess was going to be Woodrow Wilson. Yeah, his second wife. Yeah? Woodrow Wilson's second wife. wife. His first wife died. President President Woodrow Woodrow Wilson. Wilson. United States president. What number number was he? I didn't. Oh, geez. I didn't. You know what? I'll do the research right now. 30-something? Let's Woodrow Wilson was the 28th president. Oh, damn. I was of close. The United States of America. <laughs> I'm assuming he was a white man. He, you are correct. They were all white men except for Barack Obama. No, he's a white man too. <laughs> we got 100% white presidents I mean, up in here. He's 50% white. That counts. Okay, you're right. See, you're right. We can, we I stand can. corrected. Thank you, Chloe. Yeah, that counts. It's true. That's 100% it's true. white up in here. So Woodrow Wilson was in office. During World War One, shit was cray in the world, and one of his like biggest promises was that he was trying to get the League of Nations formed, which was sort of like today's UN, but he was like trying to bring the world together and to say like, well, if we all work together, common our common common enemies cannot hurt us, right? So like, if you get threatened, we'll protect you, and if we get threatened, you protect us. And he was trying to kind of like pull together the world. He was notoriously not super well. Like, he had headaches a lot. He was, like, kind of, like, pale and wan. Like, wa- like more pale than usual for a white person. <laughs> and uh, it, he wins his second term. I think it was in 1918 or 19, end of 1917. He, he, yeah, I thought he was, like, near the 20s. Yeah, he gets elected to his second term. Um, and he's having a lot... He doesn't win by very much. Um, it's a pretty close election. Like, he's not, like, a super beloved president to this point. But he still wins. And he's trying really hard to sell this, like, League of Nations shit that he's trying to get past. So he, like, ends up going on a tour of the country to try to, like, get everybody on board. And Edith, at this point, Edith has been, like, a really integral part of his presidency. Like, she goes with him everywhere. She's a part of all these discussions. They talk about everything. She's super smart. And he ends up having, like, a mini stroke. He's speaking, like, in the middle of a speech, too. Like, he starts to have trouble with his words. And they're like, let's get him off stage. Um, And they cancel the rest of the tour. And they bring him back to the White House. And then he has a super stroke and is like fucking paralyzed and super unwell. Like for a short time, they were worried he was going to die and he's not doing great, but nobody knows. It's all a huge secret. And this is why the 25th, like I think it was the 25th Amendment ends up getting modified after his presidency 
for this reason. <laughs> so he has this massive stroke and the doctor's like, he cannot be stressed much. Like you've got it. We've got to like, like really like make things as easy as possible for him to survive the rest of this term for various reasons, which I assume are partially because like the instability of the entire world and how the the repu- like the opposing party that you know they were like really trying to get their power back and they didn't like him being in an office and she, they didn't like losing by so few in the election blah 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 it's familiar stories to all of us <laughs> wait politicians being mad they lost so so the doctor and and edith and their his like personal assistant who's basically like the modern day chief of staff basically his secretary they all like kind of are like okay we can do this we can <laughs> We can help him survive the rest of the term. We can get this done. So I'll I'll quote Edith herself. She says, quote, So began my stewardship. I studied every paper sent from the different secretaries or senators and tried to digest and present in tabloid form the things that, despite my vigilance, had to go to the president. I myself never made a single decision regarding the disposition of public affairs. The only decision that was mine was what was important and what was not. And the very important decision of when to present matters to my husband. I mean, that's a hella complicated wow. role. It's a hella Don't complicated stress role. Him. The world's gonna fucking blow up. Right. Don't stress him out. And also, like, don't let anybody know this is what's going on. Like, we don't want anyone to think the president's not well. We're just gonna tell them it's temporary, and he's just mm-hmm. not, and he has, quote, like, indigestion. They, like, use that a lot, like, as an excuse. But basically, she became this, like, huge barrier and obstacle that people had to go around in order to get to the president. And she did not let a lot of people through. And part of that was the doctor's orders and... You know, I love her. She was the first woman to to own her own car in Washington, D.C., by the way, before she met Wilson. She was like she was wealthy from her previous marriage to a jeweler who had also who had died. And um, anyway, she was a badass broad of, of her own accord, too. But she ended up basically running the rest of his presidency, which was till the end of 21. So for like three years, she was like managing the paperwork around and she basically like people say that she was basically the first woman president because she was the one who was basically running everything. And the president was still alive. He wasn't like dead, but how much he actually was giving orders or not giving orders and how much he actually read of the stuff people sent to him is like kind of a big question mark. Right. And then, and like Mm -hmm. later on when they were going through like government files and stuff, they would find like unopened envelopes that she just never gave to him or never read or whatever. And they're like, Oh, she's trying to thwart the government. The Republicans kept trying to like get meetings with him because they wanted to prove. And actually this, the secretary of state tried to get, he like called the cabinet without the president which is not allowed. The president is present at all cabinet meetings. That's like part of like the structure. Being the president. It's part of the structure of the ex- executive branch, basically. Yeah. So he calls a meeting without the president and he's like, guys, I think the president's really sick and I think we have to do something. I think that we have to declare him not not competitive and unfit so that the vice president can take over because nobody is actually doing that and he's still technically the president even though he's like, I think he's really unwell. But they didn't have proof about it. And then later on, mysteriously, there's like this kind of campaign to get that dude fired, which 
people widely think was Edith being like, get the fuck out of here, dude. (laughs) You don't get to call a meeting without me. No, I mean, I mean, my husband got him fired actually was that he called that meeting. He broke the rules of the executive branch. So they had to oust him. Good. He should have been. But also like, wouldn't you be concerned if you thought that your boss was sick and like not actually running? I mean, that's like the plot of six seasons of the West Wing. So (laughs) you're right. It is. I was going to ask, like, is she the inspiration for Mrs. Bartlett? Maybe a little bit. Although not nearly as drastically because Bartlett no, not never gets as that much. bad. Because she got, she got her own stuff going on. Yeah. I mean, um, gen- generically speaking, though, like, historians widely debate, like, how much influence she really had over all of the decisions that happened in this, like, two and a half year period. Because a lot of stuff does happen and, like, the League of Nations doesn't end up getting formed. This is how, like, Hoover and those guys start to get power because there's, like, some chaos in the executive branch and nobody's, like, really overseeing and dropping the the hammer on them, right? Because Wilson's in bed and can't, like, get out much. So, So that's... Edith Wilson, and I think she's awesome, and I think she did a great job, but she gets a ton of flack. People, like, widely consider Don't her, like a like, woman in power? They don't. <laughs> it's, like, really clear that some of the people who wrote these articles were like, she was just power-hungry, but it doesn't seem to me that she did things that were very power-hungry-ish. Like, if you, if you like, pull back a little bit. Anyway. Oh, it sounds like she was just an information filter. Yeah. I mean, think about, like, the challenge that people, like, there's, there's that thing right you show the president at the beginning of their term and at the end of the term and, and they've aged in, 30 years and you're like holy yeah, fuck in four years <laughs> right so she's doing that undercover while her husband's dying and her job is hey can you just keep him alive to save yeah. face for the entire world and right. keeping what a the massive fuck? giant secret from the entire country and the rest of the government there had to have been some other people who knew he was ill and were like you have to do this so that we can stay in power. It seems like not many people knew. It seemed like it was a very tightly kept secret. But many people suspected. Many people were like, why haven't we seen him in so long? Like, what's up with that? Anyway, that was Edith. Okay, I have one more broad. Chloe, I think that you're going to dig this broad. All right. I have got Tabitha King. Stephen King? Yep. Is his wife? Stephen King's wife. His wife Tabby. He lo- he calls her Tabby. That's what. Just because she kept him alive after he got hit by a car. No, actually. Oh, oh. No, there's more it's to way it. better. This Ooh, is an awesome story. Okay. That's why I'm closing. Hell with yeah. It. So, um, <laughs> Stephen and his wife Tabby, they are both. They meet in college, and they're both like poets. They meet at like a poetry reading, and they fall crazy in love, and they get married. There's a couple of nerds. Totally nerds. Totally nerds, and they were also broke as fuck they were like living in a trailer and they had like two young babies and steven was like teaching classes at like a local academy and he was also like working at an industrial laundry place and like moonlighting at a gas station and as a janitor and she was like working the second shift at the local dunkin donuts like they were like broke as shit right and they're just trying to make ends meet because being a writer turns out it's not very lucrative chloe (laughs) do you know anything about that (laughs) <laughs> hey, hey! I'm not trying to be called out here. It's struggle. This is this is why it's a great story for you. Yeah, for yeah, sure, actually. for sure, for sure. So um, he didn't even actually. Stephen didn't even own his own typewriter. They're using Tabby's typewriter from college, which was an Olivetti. Do you guys remember the Oli- the name Olivetti? The Olivetti typewriter. Mm-hmm. 
It was from the Share Height episode. Share Height did this Olivetti commercial. I didn't remember that's where yeah. it was from, but I definitely I like to heard. call out to the other broads when they pop up in these episodes. So Olivetti Typewriters was the typewriter that Share Height did the commercial for that turned her on to feminism, basically. <laughs> Important brand. I feel like I might have heard it in like a a Tom Hanks episode of a podcast because Tom Hanks is obsessed with typewriters. Is he? Oh, yeah. He collects them. There's a whole story about it's unrelated we'll tell it later oh that's so cute all right anyway so they have this little olivetti typewriter that's her basically tabby's college typewriter and it's like in the laundry room between the washer and the dryer and he sits there and types like anytime he's not working he's basically trying to write trying to write something and he started he writes for a lot of like he writes like a bunch of short serial uh, short stories and stuff for like playboy and some of the men's magazines and stuff like that um but he's still broke as shit he's still not making a lot of money off of it so at some point the academy that he's teaching at it's like, yo, Steven, we need a, a new faculty advisor for the debate team. It'll be an extra 300 bucks a year. What do you think? And Steven was like, 300 bucks, which for them at the time was like 10 weeks of groceries. So that's like a lot of money for where they're at in their life right now and their level of brokenness. Doubled my annual salary. Right. Wow. And so Steven's like, oh, man, I can't wait to go home and tell Tabby. And so he goes home and he tells Tabby. And Tabby's like, yes, but will you still have time to write? And he answers, quote, not much. And she replies, well, then you can't take it. And so she was like, wow. you can't do that. If you can't write anymore, it's not worth the money. And like she believed in him yeah. and his writing so strongly. But that's not the best part of this story. So fast forward a couple more months. He says no, he doesn't take that gig. And Tabby is emptying the trash can in the laundry room. And she sees these like three pieces of crumpled paper in the garbage she reaches in and she like dusts off all the cigarette ash over it and she unwrinkles them and she reads them and they are his initial concepts for carrie and and basically like the the short version of the story is that stephen king had been he stephen had been told like you don't write women you don't know how to write women and he was like i can write women and he like wanted to write a story about a woman, but then like he put together these like initial ideas and they just felt stupid and he hated them. And so he was like, fuck it, I can't do it. Maybe they're right. Maybe I can't write for women. And so he gets home that night or after his shift when it might've been the morning, who knows? Cause he worked all hours of the day. And there's this quote that Tabby says, quote, you've got something here. I really think you do. And then over the next couple of weeks, she like talks him through like the world of women and she talks about female characters and how to mold female characters and like the famous shower scene and nine months later he finishes the draft of Carrie and that was his breakout book that like shot mm -hmm. him to stardom because she pulled some pa pieces of paper out of the fucking trash <sighs> I get chills I like have super goosebumps right now I've got them I've come covered yeah. Jupiter <laughs> Jupiter, you've got feelings. What's happening right now? What are your feelings? I'm just, you know, as per the usual. As per the usual. It's just, how can you... It, honestly, it reminds me a lot of, of, of Disney and Walt trying to name mm -hmm. Mortimer Mouse and then his wife who... Lillian is on my Lillian list. Is, uh, okay, she's so one of my potential future I just feel like this is what's inspiring me. What I'm feeling is I used to tell that story at Traditions mm -hmm. when we hired on new cast members was like, and and you, did you know that Mickey Mouse was almost named Mortimer? Mortimer? You know, but now that 
we're at the end of this episode, I'm like, she did way more shit yeah. than just edit one yeah. character name. But if she hadn't... Yeah. St- and Stephen, like, to his credit, Stephen, like, he talks openly about this. He, re- he wrote about it in one of his, like, autobiographies or, or whatever, or one of his memoirs. Like, he loves and respects her, and it seems like they have, like, a super awesome marriage. So, he, so he's never tried to, like, shaft her or something of the credit. But mm-hmm. it's just such an awesome story. Wow. So that's all the that's all the background broads I brought for you today. Even though I feel like they're not background, but they but they kind of are, right? Because you'd never heard of right. them. I mean, they're right. in the background to us, right? But not to the people, to the men we've all heard of. Yeah, they're so important. Whose names we nearly always got on our first <laughs> guess by their last name. Telling that was great. This is a great episode. Ooh, yeah, real good, real good stuff. So next week. I will be covering Mei Chen, who was a labor organizer who organized the largest Asian American strike in history. So if you're interested at all in that story, come back next week for Mei Chen. Um, Usually we like go through and talk about all these other great broads that you should listen to also. But I think like, I don't know. Just check out our other, like, multi-broad episodes. Yeah, check out the other multi-broad episodes. There's one called Indestructible Women that Chloe did um, about these women who just can't die, which is, that's a super awesome episode. You're damn right. And um, (laughs) just check out broadsyoushouldknow.com because we have so many broads that we go way more into depth about. These were, like, very short overview, like, minuscule reviews of people's lives that are obviously much larger and they did many more things and... They just deserve a little shout out, and and uh, I wanted to, to wrap them together in this fun little episode. So check out broadsyoushouldknow.com. Um, almost all of these broads came from suggestions from other people when I posted on Facebook. If you have suggestions of women you think we should do, you should totally tell us. We have a Facebook page. We have an Instagram account. We have a website where you can fill out a contact form and send it in. Like We have all this shit and ways you can get a hold of us, and we want to know because we love meeting new broads that need to be on our podcast. So send in your shit. Give us a review if you can. And share, share, share. Because sharing is caring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you've got friends who want to know about broads. Yeah, for real. Even your dude friends. And if you d- Even your dude friends yeah. want to know. And if you don't, you need new friends. Maybe. Damn right. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next week for another broad you should know.